Um, well, if you're following along, the next portion of the service will be our scripture reading, which is several verses, and you may follow along as I read them. The first is Exodus 7, verses 5 and 6. This is from the New International Version. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. From Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 21. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. And Psalm 103, verses 11 to 13. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father, his, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And from Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And now, dismiss for Junior Church. It's a great joy to get into the book of Acts again. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I approach the scriptures and I need to uh, camp for a while to let the Spirit of God take this passage that was written 2,000 years ago and bring it forward into my life. And so I need time to, to meditate and ruminate and uh, incubate and marinate and whatever you do to get your mind in line with the Spirit of God. And so as we go into the book of Acts, this particular passage is uh, going to set us up for the series the next month, for the next five or six weeks as we go into the book of Philippians. What we're going to do is we're following Paul in the second missionary journey, and he's going to finish this week <clears throat> being in Philippi. And instead of going on to the journey, we're going to stop here, and we're going to, again, think about and contemplate what God did in this chapter that would carry on into the book of Philippians. And so as you listen to the passage this morning, think about what God must have been doing in these people, in Paul and Silas and, and the Philippians, as you'll see a lot of things happening in this passage. So I want to unpack that for us, and, and I think you'll find this is a very um, intriguing passage. For a number of reasons. One, uh, this is the story about the birth of the church in Europe. This is not a book <clears throat> in this passage to give you a doctrinal exposition. You won't see that coming out through Luke here. And you won't find things that, uh, that Paul usually talks about in terms of presenting the gospel. There are things that we understood 
understand that Paul was doing, he doesn't mention the cross in here. He doesn't talk about forgiveness in here. He doesn't talk much about Christ in here, just a little bit, because this is not the story to expound on how Paul did it. This is not a doctrinal. This is the story to say, here's how it started. And so as you get into the book of, 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 of Acts 16, we're going to jump in <clears throat> right at the beginning, or right in the middle of um, this passage after Lydia had been converted. We're going to jump past her because we went there last week. We're going to start at verse 16. And we're going to pick up the second woman uh, that's highlighted here by Luke. So follow me, Acts 16, 16. Now it happened, at, as we, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, so if you can adjust your reading. It happened that as we, Luke, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, that as we were going to, to a place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are the bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many, many days. And Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. But when her master saw that the hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows... They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer and guard to, to guard them securely. And he, having received such command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. For we are all here. And he called for the lights and he rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all those who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds and immediately... He was baptized, he and all his household. 
And he brought them into the house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now when the day came, the chief magistrate sent to the policeman, uh, sent their policeman saying, release those men. And the jailer reported that these words to Paul, saying, the chief magistrates have set, sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. <laughs> but Paul said, uh, they have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and they've thrown us into prison, and now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come out themselves, and let them bring us out. Well, the policeman reported those words to the chief magistrates. And they were, when they heard that they were Romans, they came and they appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. And they went out from the prison and they entered into the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. God, add your blessing. This is such a fascinating passage. Uh, there's lots in this passage that we would like to touch on, but won't touch on. But there are several things that are, that are important for us to think about. So I'm, gonna, I'm glad we got this worked, uh, because I spent a lot of time helping you see visually. Because these are some things I think you really want to see. Uh, as you go into the, the, the ancient Philippi, you'll see that Philippi... As, as part of the Greece, Italian coastline, the Mediterranean, they're all mountainous. And, and that's important because you see um, they were uh, on this side of the hill. And, and the mountains, uh, this was a walled Roman city. But I wonder as you look at that, as you get down to the Colosseum there on the, on the uh, right-hand side of the picture... Uh, the marketplace was down there, and I think, in my mind, a lot of these activities probably took, uh, took place right there along that main street. But I wanted to show you this. It's not a small city, and it was well endowed with the um, businesses as a port city, being close to the Neapolis, which was only eight miles down the road to the, uh, to the bay. But in this city, this ancient city, there are lessons that God has taught the Philippians that he wants Christians from every century to know. And that's what we want to look at. And so imagine with me, I'm going to use a little bit of my imagination, that from Neapolis, from the bay, there came two men, friends of a guy in Philippi, who had a business offer. And he said, we want you to join in expanding our fleet so would you be interested in investing your money in building our business? Well, the guy said, well, I don't know. It's, it's quite a bit of investment. He said, what you need to do is go to Philippi. And as you go to Philippi, talk to my friend Jonas over there. And Jonas has got this, an unusual girl that she can prophesy. And she can give you the direction. So, so why don't you go over to Philippi, to the consulting office over there, and uh, get some advice to see whether it's a good investment or not. So the guys from Neapolis go to Philippi, and they go into Jonas's uh, office and said, 
You know, we, uh, we were told by your friend and our, we have a mutual friend that we should come and see, seek the woman that you've got employed. Well, she's not a woman. She's a little girl, actually. But she's got this gift. She can tell you the future. She'll, she'll look at you and she'll be able to tell from her spirit of divination what your questions are and what the answers are. So, uh, yeah, she's, she's famous. Well, can we speak with her? And with that, Jonah said to his boy, go get, go get the slave girl. Well, just prior to that, same day, this woman, as we know, who is following Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, four men who had been with Lydia at the prayer meeting, and uh, they were witnessing to Christ. And everywhere they would go, uh, this slave girl with the spirit uh, this, this prophetic spirit of the same oracle of the Delphi called a python spirit, the spirit of the snake, which we'll talk about later. She was following these guys and said, you, you guys, these men are Jews. They're talking about Jesus Christ. Now, all of this isn't in the text, except for the fact that these guys are proclaiming that the way of salvation. And everywhere they went, this girl would pop in and out and begin to interrupt Paul. And so Paul was like, okay, God, I know this is a battle, and I have to deal with this. And so one day when she was uh, annoying Paul, Paul, and probably in that marketplace, Paul had cast out the spirit, and it said he spoke to that spirit and came, and came out of the girl. The boy happens to find the girl going back home, Jonas, Jonas's boy, and says, come, we, we have a, a client over here. We want you to do the fortune telling for this. And so she comes in, but instead of being in her whatever demeanor you can imagine being on her face, she was kind of happy and, and released that she, she was adjusting to this newfound spirit that she's not plagued by this demon could you give the fortune telling for our friends here? And she begins to tell the fortune and nothing happens. Uh, I'm sorry, just, just a minute. Tell them the fortune. Turn on that spirit of divination, whatever you do, to get, just make them sure, because this is a business investment that I need to get them. And so she, the little girl goes to these two men and says, and nothing comes out. Now, can you imagine that office scene where the boss is really annoyed at you? And she's about ready. And so the men probably took her and shook her and did some things to help her get. But it wasn't to happen because the spirit of divination was gone. Well, how does that make the boss feel? How to make them feel? They're not going to get the business. And so they get threatened. We're losing money. People come and standing at the door, we've lost our main source of income with this, with this, what's ha what happened to you, girl? These men who were proclaiming the way of salvation, they said to some, some words and the spirit's gone. Can you imagine the spirit gone? All that story is wrapped up. We don't have those details. We don't even know this girl's name because it's not about her, but something else is going on. Who are those men? Well, they're over on the, by the marketplace, by the Colosseum. 
So you can imagine what that guy did next. Got his friends, went out for search, as a search party looking for Paul and looking for Luke. Where Timothy and uh, Paul and Silas and where Timothy and Luke were at this point, they must be off somewhere else. But this time they didn't have this slave girl interfering with them. Paul was annoyed by this demon-possessed slave girl. And he didn't back down. But remember, there was another slave girl that confronted Peter at the barrel. You were with Jesus. You were one of them. These slave girls were used by God to really open the witness. But Paul wasn't threatened because Paul had the Holy Spirit. At that point, Peter didn't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the courage that Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke had, they had the whole Holy Spirit that would confront any kind of spirit of divination. But the multitude rose up against them. Now it wasn't just the boss and his employee. It's like they were now growing, fermenting into a mob that's rising up against them. And the magistrates rent off their clothes that this is too much. You've exceeded, you've made us mad. And they said, no more. And they commanded them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now this is a little rabbit trail I'm going to take you on with me. Because I thought... You don't think about these details, but I want you to think about these details. In the Roman guard, when Agrippa or any, any proconsul or any magistrate, they would, uh, <clears throat> they would be, had, they had bodyguards. And those bodyguards, or you'll see them here in this scene, uh, they were usually in the Roman, Roman uh, arena, they had like 12 bodyguards up to 12, because 12 is a magical number. And those bodyguards had a particular thing, the rods that they used, uh, those who had that position as a bodyguard were called lictors. Now, you have a picture of this lictor, and he looks like he's got an axe or a hoe. <clears throat> now, that's important. Uh, just bear with me as I go through this. These lictors um, were or they were, they were the ones who carried this tool called the fasces. And these fasces, depending on how, which Latin pronunciation you use, were special instruments of torture to inflict pain as bodyguards. Not just a billy club, they were serious weapons. And that, that fasces would have 12 rods wrapped with leather bands. And with that blade coming out at the top, the word fascist would talk about being strength through unity. Now keep that in mind because that's where you get the word fascism in, in the Italian, as you know, Mussolini and the whole political uh, model that they would say is going to be strength in numbers. Now what's really fascinating about this to me was I had no idea it was used throughout the world, including the United States, because if you go to Washington, D.C., you'll see at the, tomb, at the Memorial Lincoln, the pillars on that chair are called fascists, and the foundation of the whole uh, memorial 
has the same thing. And I didn't realize that the United States Senate, at the bottom of the seal, you'll see these two little armaments, and they strength in unity. Out of, out of one, out many combined together, e pluribus unum, you've got the strength in numbers. So much so that in Cincinnati, Lucius Quintius Cincinnatus holds an actual uh, fascist there so everybody can see. I had no idea that this was so popular. Well, there are other places it's used. But when they had beat when they had beat Paul and Silas, it says they had received many blows from this instrument that was bigger than a bat. It was not 39 whips, uh, lashes, as the Jews would, would say, because 40 lashes with the, uh, with the scourging uh, whips that they would use would kill a man. And so they wouldn't give 40, they'd give 39. But in this case, they wouldn't stop at 39. Many people would die at such a beating because the beating with 12 rods that thick uh, would not only break your ribs and, and do deep wounds in the muscle tissue, but the, the pain with many, many, many blows. Many, many people died from the beatings because the Roman soldiers knew how to inflict pain. And they did so. And so, as they would take these things of strength and unity, you'll see this strength is the issue. The power is the issue. You'll see on the right-hand side and the left-hand side in our government, we value strength. And you've never seen those two things on the side of the... the those are fasces. And you think about these, uh, these bodyguards carrying these around for any political, well, we do that, we call them secret service agents today. But these were the ones who came to Paul and Silas and they violated Paul, beating them, stripping them, beating them, injuring them, and then they flogged them. Not only were they wounded and broken, they would not stop. And here come the flogging. And now the ripping of the skin and the seeping and the wounding and the blood. And then they put them in prison. That prison, they, they put them in stocks. They would not stop. Now, I'm doing this to increase your imagination because I want you to see this because what we think when we read the scriptures, we think about prisons or we think about incarceration or depending on what jail goes into your mind. But I want you to see, going back with me to, to think about and try to picture yourself as Paul and Silas being in this position, overwhelmed, unable to speak, unable to do, they were just mobbed and just like happened not too long ago. They put him in jail. When you think about the Macedonian jail, what comes into your mind? Because I'm going to show you, if you were to go over there today, what it looks like. How big was it? How much space did they have? Somewhere in the afternoon, when they took a hold of Paul and Silas, and when they beat them and they finally dragged them into the prison, put it at sunset, 
And probably Paul and Silas just collapsed. They couldn't take anymore, so their brain shut down, their body shut down, and they're just barely breathing in their prison, in stocks, in the darkness. And a couple hours later, having regained some kind of strength to wake up, they woke up in this place. And this place is the actual, they think this is the actual place where Paul and Silas were jailed. Now notice it's not very big. And how many prisoners were in there with them? Six? Ten? Didn't say. It doesn't matter. But the fact is that this jail was represented uh, and, and pictured uh, on the side of that mountain. And therefore, as you get into the pictures to understand um, how probably on the other side, outside of the city, they had this place. So they had to walk Paul, beaten and Silas, beaten over to the jail. By sunset, they had collapsed. And now... In the middle of the night, as they continued to walk, wake up, they began to pray. Notice how it's a mountainous area. And so the outside would have these gates. And, and the prison doors, sometimes they say doors, but there were gates. And, and in the scriptures, there are three incidents in the book of Acts where these gates and doors were opened by miracles. Notice this jail on the hillside. Now, here comes the earthquake. What happens? The jailer's outside, and no doubt when the wall collapses, some of that wall collapses right on the jailer. And so the jailer's probably under stone as well. The whole city has gone through a magnitude of an earthquake of who knows, but intense enough not only to shake the jail, but probably to shake the city. And now, in the middle, eight, nine o'clock, the jailer wakes up. And it begins, uh, it's, uh, sorry, at midnight, the earthquake takes place. So it's about one o'clock or whatever. Put yourself in the middle of the night, dark as it is, and stones are, and people don't know what's going on. The confusion alone is, is it just makes you stop and think what, what they went through. But before that earthquake, what were they doing? They were praying. What was Peter uh, in jail for? What was, what was the church doing? They were praying. And it just seems like every time that there's a miracle, prayer and miracles go together. And that's what happened. This time, the beaten Silas and the beaten Paul were now sitting, looking over an open sky. And they had realized God had again had done great things to open. And no doubt, no doubt, while in, in the prison, Paul thought about at the time in Lydia when they stoned him and left him for dead. And he's talking to Silas, a young man, thinking God's, God's going to get us out of this. Imagine if John Mark were here. He probably couldn't have taken, he probably would have destroyed John Mark. Who, we don't know. But the point is, the miracle, God opened the gate, and as he opened the gate, all the other prisoners should have run away. But they didn't. 
Why? Because they had been listening to Paul and Silas and they had heard about the girl and they knew about Lydia and they heard that the gospel had penetrated their, their pagan religion and here was the living God doing something amazing and they didn't want to run. What must I do to be saved? And so as the guys said to, uh, as, as Paul and Silas said to the jailer, uh, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now this isn't a, this isn't a passage for doctrine. This is, he didn't talk about the cross. He didn't talk about demon possession. He didn't talk about faith. He didn't talk about philosophy. He simply said, Jesus saves you just need to connect. And, and of course you can unpack that more, but it wasn't the point. The point is a Roman jailer got saved. Just like Cornelius. The Roman Cornelius got saved. God is doing something. Don't miss this. God is working into Europe, into the pagan territory. There is no Jewish flavor in this passage at all. And the jailer says, yeah, I want to, in my house. And so he got up immediately and took care of them. That's what happens when the spirit changes. You start becoming sensitive and, and, and you start serving and you start loving people. And his and all of us now it's about 1.30, 2.30, and everybody's gonna be up all night celebrating and they're getting baptized. This is a phenomenal thing going on in the corner of the world, in the darkness where nobody knows, except Lydia knows. She's praying. The other people are praying. Maybe the, the slave girl at this point, it doesn't say that she was saved. Now that's an interesting point. Because I wanted to go down to some lessons that, that are here for us. Because first of all, I want you to know what Jesus had told his disciples, what, he, what Paul understood, that one, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Neither wealth nor privilege, like Lydia, demon possession, uh, cultural traditions, fortune telling with how you do it in, in Rome, in Philippi, the threats and the falsehoods, the beatings and the imprisonments, the injustice and the incompetence by the political officials. Nothing is going to stop God's gospel from going out. Nothing. Can you think of anything that would stop people to quench the Holy Spirit that the Spirit of God can't overcome, can't deliver? No. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. That's one lesson. Two, we know that wherever there's deliverance, whenever there's power, where there's a power encounter, you need to have prayer involved. Remember Jesus said to the, to the disciples who were trying to cast out that boy with the epilepsy, this kind will come out by prayer and fasting only. There's a power in prayer that Tennyson said, there's more things going on in this world through prayer than you realize because there's an unseen reality that the empirical scientists will miss. Three, Healing does not mean salvation. Healing does not mean salvation. The girl had the spirit. Paul spoke to the spirit. And whether or not he spoke to the girl afterwards or not, 
is not included in this passage. And so don't read into the passage more than it's there. Only to say that there's no mention of the girl having faith. But she was healed. So also were ten lepers. There were ten lepers that were healed. So don't be fooled by miraculous healings because that doesn't mean you're saved. The ten were healed, but only the Samaritan leper came back. And that the one who came back, Jesus said, you have faith, and your faith has saved you. Where are the other nine? So understand that the lessons here are, um, are important because you're in spiritual battle. And to say that there's no not just a healing or salvation, remember the passage in Matthew 12 where Jesus healed by casting out the Spirit. And he says... To that one, the Spirit says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. You can have self-help improvement. You can have change in your life. But your house will be invaded by seven other spirits that are even worse. Seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they will go in and live there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't take up residence. And when the Holy Spirit takes up residence, you are protected from any evil demonic spirit coming in and invading you. That's why I don't think that it's possible for a Christian to be possessed, disturbed maybe, bothered, but not indwelt by a demon spirit. And the final condition of the purse is worse than the first. But with the Holy Spirit, the final condition is better than the first. There's always improvement. That's how it will be with this wicked generation. That's how it will be with the church in that generation. So have all that changed in Philippi, in, in this first Gentile church, people need a different mindset if they're going to profit from the gospel and to learn how to move in conflict and pain. And of course, Paul and Silas, they were physically... They were physically beaten. As I think about this, Paul said, there are three times. There are three times I was really beaten by rods. Jesus had told him, you will see how much you have to suffer. And Paul did. But what would keep you motivated? What would keep you motivated to continue to go through this thing? Like most of us say, I'm I'm out. I'm out of here. I'm done. Goodbye. Goodbye. It's not worth it. There's a mindset that has to take place and it only comes when you understand that with a crucifixion and with death, there is a hope of resurrection. If you don't have the hope of eternity in mind, you will not endure the present pain and the, that you may go through. So there's lots of lessons we'll get into through suffering. But, but Paul's mindset was, I can handle this. These sufferings aren't anything for the glory that's going to be revealed. His mind wasn't on his pain. His mind was on his Savior. And he thought about Jesus on that cross, and he knew he was called to a fellowship with the Savior. Wow, Paul was really powerful in his, in his personal growth. And he has a story to tell, as do all of these individuals. What became of the prisoners inside the jail? The Droma jailers, extended family, they heard from the jailer, did you, hear, did you hear uncle, grandpa, and the grandkids, everybody's, did you hear what dad went through? 
Did the citizens ever make that connection that the earthquake that took place in their city was because of prayer? Did they think about that? And, and what happens uh, when you think about Silas and Timothy? What did they learn as they saw uh, Paul go through this? And, and Luke was a physician. Isn't that timely how God put Luke on the team before he gets beaten up? And Luke wasn't arrested, so Luke was in good shape to take care of him for a while, at least a little bit. But imagine what was taking place in this little city apart from the Neapolis. The word got out, surely got out. The conversations went all the way out through Philippi, the region. What would Lydia say to her friends at the next business meeting? What did the slave girl say? You think about all these conversations that are going on and and you think that Jesus engineered all of that to get these people saved. Much as he would engineer the movement of his disciples over to the Gerasene demoniac to save that one. Why? Because the worth of the individual, God will move heaven and earth to anyone who's open to salvation. He's concerned about people's lives and their souls. The world doesn't give a rip. And therefore, the world is only concerned about economics and power. You can choose that frame of mind. Last thing is this. As we get into this study, one, when, you re- when you recognize what takes place, what kind of bonding takes place when you see your friends suffer, What Lydia must have felt for Paul. What the jailer must have felt for Paul. What those lictors must have felt for Paul. If they became part of the Philippian church, can you imagine them going to Paul or to the church and saying, forgive me. I didn't know. I repent. This church, this Gentile church, God was on the move. And even though they released them. The magistrates, uh, sorry, sorry, oops, uh, please go. Don't, don't tell anybody. Don't. It, was, it was a horrible, the word got out because the word of the Lord had spread. And now Europe was open. And as the first thing that Paul and Silas did after they left the magistrates, you don't hear anything about that. But I'm sure the magistrates had some expletives Macedonian expletives that they couldn't put in scripture. But Paul released them and didn't go after them. He could have used his Roman citizenship, but didn't. Because he didn't want the people to understand, it's my citizenship that got me free. Uh, He said, it was only Christ who set me free. And there's something about that, that your reputation, God will take care of. But immediately after they, they left, where did they go? To their friends, Lydia. To the house of prayer. And they relieved, uh, relieved their concerns. That, but no doubt, when Lydia looked upon Paul, the welts and the bruises, broken ribs, maybe a broken bone, the back, the scarring, the love 
that the Philippians had for Paul and for Silas was, was so deep and it continued throughout the entire ministry that Paul had. There's something about suffering that we'll talk about later on. But as Paul and Silas left the city, Luke stayed behind. He didn't continue on to Thessalonica. But as they walked through the remains of that city with stones unturned because of the earthquake, and this is the actual foundation of the city of the church, the church in that city, the Philippian church, uh, the, the, the Philippian church started, now get this, with an international businesswoman, a correctional officer, God-fearing women friends, inmates, a liberated slave girl, and maybe some others. There's no philosophers here. There's no intellectuals here. This is just normal, everyday people in Philippi. That's who God called. That's how God starts the church in Philippi. And Luke then says, they left. Then they left. And walking out of that city, there's a spirit of excitement that God is going to use us. We're not done. There's more coming. And they move, into, they move through the area and they're moving towards Thessalonica. We're going to stop here and go into the book that was written 10 years later after Acts, 10, Acts 16. And let's look at it. When you read that this week, look at the lessons. What did Paul say about death? What did Paul say about suffering? What did Paul learn? Because there's a lot in this book. That if you didn't know Acts 16, you're going to miss the riches in Philippians. So it's going to be fun to get into this book. Isn't this interesting? The Word of God just amazes me all the time because in this place, Lydia met Jesus. In this place, the jailer met Jesus. In this place, Jesus confronted the evil pagan world and conquered. That's why it's so fun to, to think about the scriptures can do the same thing today. If you're filled with the Spirit, if you really want to testify and tell your story for Christ, he will use us all as we stand up for Christ. Well, let's stop here. Jump into Philippians with me because it gets more exciting. Ryan?